And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, it's our old friend from ESPN. It's Bill Barnwell. Barnwell, how you doing, buddy? Mays, we're, we're in the thick of it. Like, oh, we sure are. <laughs> there's no no escaping it anymore. No pretense of summer. No no days off to look forward to. We're in the training camp grind. Some of us, fortunately for me, more than others. Uh, you don't have to tell me that we're in the thick of it. I was in Spartanburg, <laughs> South Carolina today. It was like 88 degrees. I just feel the sweat dripping down my back. I'm sweating through my shirt. Very jealous. Greg Alman, formerly of The Athletic, who now covers the NFC South for Fox. Greg is a grizzled veteran at this. He's got his bucket hat on like a smart man. That's I'm just smart. sweltering out there in the heat. Uh, but it's good. It's good to be back doing this. It's good to be back having football conversations. I was with the Panthers this morning. Uh, I'm currently in Atlanta. Going to spend a couple days with the Falcons. Very much looking forward to that. It's, it's just good to be back talking ball with everybody and seeing familiar faces, some new faces. It's a fun time of year, even if we are definitely back to it. Do you do you feel the power of being at Falcons camp where if you literally tweet out Kyle Pitch catching a football, you can move his like fantasy football ADP up three rounds with the right video? I am not engaging in the fantasy discourse this year. It, it, camp hype fantasy what? discourse. I dipped my toe into it for one day last summer with Alan Robinson, and it wasn't even something I saw. It was things told to me by multiple people on the Los Angeles Rams coaching staff, and it got so much steam. And then the season that Allen Robinson had, I'm done. I am a, not talking about buying into anything with training camp hype anymore. What a haughty podcast says, oh, I'm not going to dip my toes in the fantasy water. What? Come on. Uh, fantasy is fine. I'm down to do. I'm down to talk about it. I'm sure. down to talk about what other people are putting out there. No longer am I going to be the one that's doing it. I'm how, not, ever, how long would you? I'm done. How, how long would you let me do the podcast in that British accent before you stop the recording? Uh, at this point, who really cares? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't care at this point. I thought it was pretty good, frankly. It, was, it actually was pretty good. I, did, I, I didn't appreciate worse. it. I, I felt it was a little bit mean, but I did appreciate just how spot on it, it happened to be. You spent a lot well, of time over there, so you, you know what I you're do. doing at this point. I do. Yeah. I'm a, a proper Brit at this point. Um, but there is a, a, a situation that does relate to fantasy football that I believe we should discuss before we get to our main topic today. We're going to talk about today is 10 guys, around 10 guys, that we think could kind of swing this season. 
right? Guys whose performance one way or the other could mm-hmm. change how the 2023 season unfolds. I think there's a lot of guys that we didn't really talk about when we discussed the stakes with Lindsey Jones last week, some other shows that we're going to do. So that's going to be our topic today. But what you're alluding to is the bit of news from Broncos camp earlier this week that Tim Patrick reportedly has an Achilles injury that I assume will likely take him out for the season. It, it's been it's confirmed. Just, Torn Achilles is a, done for the year brutal stretch of luck for Tim Patrick. I was yeah. at Broncos camp last summer when he tore his ACL. It was a very sad day. You know, only real saving grace that he had already gotten paid. He had got that in extension, mm-hmm. but it's still just it is un- unbelievably rough luck for Tim Patrick. I- I'm curious what you think are the implications of this. You know, For me, they had drafted Marvin Mins in the second round. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what Tim Patrick's role was going to look like with a new coaching staff coming in. Things seemed a little bit in flux there at the receiver position. So what do you think is notable specifically about the Tim Patrick injury? I, I believe it changes the Broncos' plans for this offseason, which still had a little bit of runway left to go with, where you look at their depth chart on offense. So we're going to leave running back aside, but at wide receiver, they had Cortland Sutton, who has been the subject of some trade talks. They have Jerry Judy. They have Marvin Mims, who not only did they draft in the second round with, with, with Sean Payton's first pick in this draft, but they traded up to get Marvin Mims. They made him a priority to be part of this roster. They had KJ Hamler, who is now, I believe, on the non-football injury list. Um, Another player who's had trouble staying healthy. Marcus Calloway is there. Little Jordan Humphrey, in terms of the former Saints, are there. And then they also went out, in addition to having Greg Dulcich, a tight end, who was very exciting for stretches last year, as, as exciting as anybody could be, I suppose, in that Broncos offense. But they <laughs> they 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 signed Chris Manhurts, who's going to be their blocking tight end. They trade for Adam Troutman. They have Albert Awe Boonham uh, on the back of the roster. I mean, they're, they're deep at wide receiver and tight end, and we're extremely deep before the Patrick injury. And so I, I've sort of been of the volition all offseason that they had one too many guys at wide receiver and that if Patrick had stayed healthy, they were going to trade somebody, obviously not Mims, I don't think Judy, but either Sutton or Patrick, to a team that needed the wide receiver. And now it feels like if you're Cortland Sutton or someone who's investing in Cortland Sutton in fantasy football, hoping he's going to be that sort of big body target that Sean Payton offenses have had since 2007 with Marquise Colston, it kind of feels like Sutton could now have the, the lead role to be that guy. Before we dig into that, you talked about Greg Dolchich being exciting in that offense last year, as exciting as you can be. How much of the Greg Dolchich's excitement is based around the hair and the mustache? Is it thirty percent? Is it fifty percent? Like how how high does it go for you? I mean, I, as a follically challenged man, I'm not gonna lie; it's way up there. Um, I'm 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 not sitting here, uh, you know, desperate to see Chris Manhurts play in 2023 and i think chris banders is a good player certainly one of the best football players to come out of canisius college but not a man who has long flowing locks the way greg dulcich does he has he actually has the um he has the hair from the i think you should leave sketch where uh tim robinson gets the wrong haircut <laughs> it's the dog Yes, the dog hair. It's good. Not going to lie. I'm impressed. Jealous. But, um, you know, Greg Dulcich could be that guy. He could play that role. Marquise Colston, of course, God, the the famous fantasy controversy of 2007 when Marquise Colston was a tight end. It was 2006. And the reason I remember this vividly is because it was my, oh, no, you're right. It was 2007. 
Oh, okay. No, it was 2006. It was the fall of 2006 because my freshman year of college. I vividly remember this. Yes, it was but the fall of Mar- 2006. Marquise Colson listed a tight end, I think, on Yahoo. I don't believe ESPN had listed Yahoo. End. Yahoo is correct because we were playing Yahoo at the time. Uh, just an absolute. If you thought the Taysom Hills thing last year was bad, this was significantly worse. Uh, Marquise Colston was awesome that year as a seventh round rookie, uh, 70 for 10, 38 in eight touchdowns. Anyway, uh, to get off memory lane here, Mays, you know, it felt like there was a move for the Broncos to make here, and now it feels like they're not inclined to make that move or shouldn't be inclined I, to make that move. I understand why you think that, but I'm wondering if they were going to make that move, would they have already made it? It's August first. Are you going to get the value you want for one of these guys? Let, let's say your team that theoretically is interested in Cortland Sutton, a mm-hmm. team that has a wide receiver need. Cortland Sutton has a fourteen million dollar base salary this year. Yeah. So there aren't that many teams on August first that have budgeted to absorb a contract like that. Maybe yeah. the Broncos pick some of it up. You know, maybe a team signs him, converts some of that into a signing bonus. You're not worried about. What that's going to do to you down the road because there are no more guarantees. Whatever the funny math ends up being, I still feel like if they were going to do that, that's a move for April, May, not for August 1st when you're just not going to get the returns that you're looking for. Probably not. I think it would have been a, you know, we, we, we're hoping we make it through trading camp with everyone healthy. And of course, now they've proven that that's not the case, but I think it would have taken them eating money. It would have had to eat probably six, seven million dollars, which is a lot, but this is a team that frankly needs all the draft capital they can get given that they traded up for Marvin Mims and don't have a lot of draft capital after their trades the past couple of years. But I, I, either way, whether he was going to be on the roster or not, whether Tim Patrick was going to be playing that role or not, it's just a bummer to see a player go down with a torn ACL and a torn Achilles in back-to-back seasons. I think Sterling Shepard um, with the Giants went through the same back-to-back injuries this past couple of years. And, and Tim Patrick has been a player who I think we've all seen can be a useful player when given the opportunity to get snaps. So I think that's been a bummer. Um, but for a Broncos team that was, I believe, one of the most injured teams in football last year, this sort of feels like an ugly reminder that 2023, even with a new coach, might not be all that different from 2022. Yeah, you find some solace in drafting Mims in the second round and having some depth at that position. But they're very different, I, they're, they're very different, of course. And how those roles end up shaking out within the offense, I think, is kind of a mystery. You know, mm-hmm. is Judy going to be somebody who plays in this slot? Is Judy going to be more of a vertical target like he was last year? What actual kind of specific roles do all these guys play within the offense is a question i still think that one of the other factors though when weighing whether or not they'd want to trade one of these guys this team wants to win football games this year yeah i mean think about all the money they spent in free agency they can move on from Cortland sutton after this year so i just think that they kind of have their pedal to the floor because sean payton wants to back up the checks that his mouth is currently writing and <laughs> has been with a lot of the actions that they've done all the way back to march and free agency so i even with the Patrick on the roster, I still assume that they were going to keep everybody and just see what they could do with this group in the short term. There's a bit of Greg Ward corollary here to me. Like like my, my Greg Ward theory that no matter what the Eagles add at receiver, inevitably by December, Greg Ward will be their number one receiver for like a quarter <laughs> of football. There's the Kendall Hinton theory here, which is because Kendall Hinton sacrificed himself for that one game at quarterback, the world will bend to a universe where Kendall Hinton will be taking snaps regularly as a third wide receiver in this offense by December uh, by hooker crook. He's earned it, baby. I have no issue with that whatsoever. All right, let's get into our list here. These are the guys that we think could potentially swing the 2023 season one way or the other 
based on their performances. You are the guest here. I'm going to let you start us off. Who is your first guy you want to talk can, about? Can we can we put a number out there first before we start? How, how sure. many do you have on your list? Sort of five, but really like 12. Okay, sort of five, really like 12. I have eight, so I'm, ha- I'm ha- okay. halfway between you. How many of the people on my list do you think will be on your list? What's the over-under? One and a half? Two and a half? I think it's two and a half, I would say, is the over-under. Two and a half. I I agree. Okay. Should I start with a really obvious one? Sure. I'll go with the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. So I had him on another show that we did. I already talked about him, so that's why he's not on my list. But I'm not surprised that you're throwing him out first because I think it's totally fair. I think you have to start with Tua Tango Valoa. I've made the case in my column uh, last month, I guess now technically, for ESPN, that he's the only player in football with $100 million writing on this season. Last year, that was Jalen Hurts. This year, it's Tua, where he has a fifth-year option for about $23 million next year that he'll get either way. If he plays well, he's going to get $120 million guaranteed. I... You know, th- th- there's little to say about him because it's just a question of can he stay healthy, I guess. But maybe the question I'll throw out there for you is that, that that's what I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna bring up is like I, I think it's being framed in a lot of places, and I think I feel this way myself is if he stays healthy, they're gonna get the guy they had last year, the offense they had last year, they're gonna be that explosive. It sounds like you don't feel like that's the case. We talked about this with Sando on the quarterback tier shows that we did we did earlier this week. Go look at Tua's numbers in that four-game stretch down the back mm-hmm. half of the season. The mm-hmm. Starting with the Niners, I believe it was in week 13. Niners, Chargers, and Bills, and then the Packers game was, was the last one that they played. It was mm-hmm. that four-game stretch. During that stretch, this is probably a stat I'll repeat a bunch of times over the next week, he, I believe, was 30th of 32 quarterbacks in EPA per dropback over that stretch. The Dolphins were dead last in passing success rate over that stretch. Mm-hmm. This is with him playing. So this binary of if he's healthy, this is one of the five best passing offenses in the league. If he's not, this is a team that's going to struggle. I think it's a little too reductionist. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's actually indicative of the reality they faced in the second half of last season. I I don't disagree, but I also think I'm a little more optimistic than it sounds like you are. I would throw a couple I'm optimistic about their ability to sort through this because I think that they're well coached. I think they have a lot of talent, but I do think that there are more complicating factors involved here than other people are making it out to be. And that's so, he, and it's that he just wasn't very good for a stretch of last season when he was on the field. So one of those factors is the presence of Teron Armstead, who is their only good offensive tackle who got hurt in the second half, <laughs> got hurt. May, uh, you know, you could, could could throw that out there, depending on how you feel about uh, some of their young guys. But um, he gets hurt in the second half of that Texans game. Tua's, I mean, they're, they're cruising. Tua starts getting sacked. He gets sacked like five times over the course of like the next three drives. And they take him out of the game because they don't want Tua to get hurt. Um, the next week he plays against the 49ers. Not exactly the team I'd want to face without my left tackle. He comes back for the Chargers, Bills, and Packers games, but he was not 100%. And that yeah, you Packers, can see it. I rewatched that Chargers game last week, and he was yeah. not right. And and that that Packers game, I think, is important and, and, and you know sort of important to think about the context of what happened. Two or through three interceptions in that game, and they all happened on the final three drives of the game, which was presumably, or from what I remember at least, all after he suffered 
uh, his, his final concussion of the season. He was playing much better before he suffered that concussion, which I think is is certainly fair to expect. But you know, I, not to say that 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 solves all the problems, those two explanations, but I think they explain some of the difference between Tua in the first six weeks of the year and the Tua we saw in that four game stretch, which was not as effective. The Armstead point is a very good one. He did not look right in the Chargers game, and I think that did affect them. I get the point you're making about the interceptions, but dig one step deeper within the numbers. That's going to hurt the EPA numbers because those are really, really negative plays. That EPA number is actually lifted, though, by how explosive they still were over that stretch. Oh, for sure. They still had the highest explosive play rate in the NFL in these four games that I'm talking about, but they weren't consistent. They weren't in any sort of rhythm offensively because the teams that they were playing against were being really, really physical against them. So mm-hmm. I do think that, that the three interception performance in Green Bay is kind of weighing some of this stuff down, but that doesn't explain the league worst success rate that they had over that stretch mm-hmm. no because question. we're not worried about living on the poles. So I still am worried about the down-to-down in-rhythm efficiency of what this offense looks like in a world where teams are more willing to challenge them the way they were down the stretch last year. So when to he you, can't play on time, what does he look like? That That is my big, big question. So is that a Tua question to you, or is that a broader offensive construction question to you? I think it's a little bit of both, because I do yeah. think he is not somebody who's going to make the amount of second reaction plays you want from an elite quarterback, which probably raises the question of whether he's worth a deal like that, even if he does stay healthy. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there are certain elements of the offense they need to be better at. Talking to a defensive coach who played against the Dolphins last year in in that stretch said, we were, wanted to make them run the football. Not mm-hmm. because they were a bad running team. If you look at some of the efficiency numbers, they're actually a pretty good running team just because the circumstances they're running into are always very good. This is a 21 personnel team who plays light boxes all the time. If they want to run it, they can be efficient running it, but they just didn't run the ball at a very high clip last year. So are they willing to stick with that in stretches as kind of a stabilizing force to find some of that down-to-down consistency this year? I think the answer is probably yes, because I think they're aware of this problem. Yeah, so to your point, um, second longest average yards to go on third down of any team in football last year, uh, nestled between the Jets and the Broncos, which were not exactly effective offenses last season, per my memory. Um, The running game is going to have to be a a bigger part of their offense this year to take some of the pressure off of Tua. But I think their running backs have to be better. You look at the rush yards over expectation numbers. Chase Edmonds was like the worst running back in football when he was with the Dolphins before he got traded away. Um, Jeff Wilson was not great. Raheem Mostert was not great. You know, we don't know if Devin Chain is going to be like a, a focal running back in the offense as a rookie. Don't know if he has the the ability to pull it off with his size. Like. This is a team that has been, even with with a diminished version of Dalvin Cook by the numbers, absolutely a team that could benefit from Dalvin Cook being on this roster. I also think that their offensive line hopefully will be better and healthier this year. How? How? You know, when, when? When was the last time we did not say that about the Dolphins before the season, Maze? I, I, you're telling me. I, I understand <laughs> that there's a reason to be skeptical about it, but was Austin Brandon Jackson Albert got, on this offense, <laughs> who also had famously had trouble staying healthy? Sure. So if Austin Jackson can be healthy for a good chunk of the year, if Liam Meikenberg is better uh, in year two of this system, that's what they're banking on. They're banking sure. on better health up front and. These young guys, Austin Jackson and Liam Beikenberg specifically, their development plan has been a disaster. 
all the offensive line coaches this team has sorted through, the different plans they've had offensively. This is the first time that they've been in the same offensive system for two straight years. The offensive line coach is different. (laughs) They changed that again. But this is the first time they've been in the same system. So is there a little bit more continuity? Can they build on some of the elements of what the offense looked like last year? I have faith in the staff to, to kind of work through some of these issues. I just don't think it's as black and white as if he's healthy, they're just going to roll the way that some people are making it out to be. It's a very fair point. Okay. We just talked about offensive linemen. I know you're going to bring one up. Give me the offensive lineman from your list. I actually don't have any offensive linemen on my list. What? I have one. So I'll, I'll save mine. It's funny. I was thinking about which one. You know what? Actually, So I have an offensive lineman as like a secondary piece of another one that I'm going to mention. Okay. Okay. So... So I'll do that a little bit further down. The first people who came to mind when I wanted to have this conversation were the Eagles coordinators. Oh, come on. I I, well, I, I was quoted players for this analysis. I, oh, didn't, I, I didn't do any coaches. Oh, I did people. So I got I, I only <laughs> have three coaches. going to be on this list somewhere. I, I only have – I have two and a half coaches. Okay. Three you said guys, coaches. so that's fair. You said it's pivot guys. point I guys. I said guys. Pivot okay. point guys. They're guys. It's fair. These it's coaches fair. are guys. You cannot deny fair. that. If you're right. This is a lot of change for sure a team that went to the Super Bowl last year. And there it hasn't been a lot of change in the personnel on either side of the ball. They lose Javon Hargrave, but they have a succession plan already in place with the two Georgia guys. They lose a linebacker. Kobe Dean is in place for that exact reason. You know, some change in safety. But I think that they can weather all of that person, those personnel shifts. Mm-hmm. The guys in charge of these two units being different, I think, is a major question that you have to answer. Brian Johnson, their new offensive coordinator, is someone that they've been grooming for this role. I think they've always known that this was possible, that if things worked out the right way, that Shane Steichen would be gone. And I talked to a head coach recently about upcoming kind of emerging head coach candidates around the league, and Brian Johnson is one of the first people out of his mouth. I think that he has a good reputation, and I think that there's optimism about what he can do in this role. But we don't know. Until you've seen somebody do this, play calling is an art. And at least on the offensive side of the ball, there's always the option to just let Nick Sirianni take over if this is a disaster and goes poorly. On defense, there's no such option. Sean Desai is taking over for Jonathan Gannon. He spent last year on the Seahawks staff kind of helping oversee a pretty significant shift schematically Mm -hmm. in what the Seahawks were doing. They started adopting some of the more Fangio principles and a lot of the things Mm -hmm. that Desai did during his lone season as the the Bears offensive coordinator. And there are some things, excuse me, defensive coordinator. And there are some things to carry over, you know, Jonathan Gannon, the boxes he wants to play in, and, you know, some of the front stuff I assume is going to be similar. But a lot of the coverages that Desai favors are different than what this team did last year. And Mm -hmm. I actually think that, I think that there's a world where they're better defensively. Wish on Desai as the defensive coordinator than they were last year. But these are still questions until we get answers to them. And for a team with very real Super Bowl aspirations, swip, swapping out its two coordinators in a single season, that is a major question mark for me. I agree. I, I will be honest with you. My only comment about the offense is that it's really hard for me to see Brian Johnson as the offensive coordinator and not imagine a guy in a newsboy cap on the sideline calling plays uh, like Brian Johnson from ACDC. Um, hopefully that's not going to be the case, but I think the defensive side of the ball is essential here. And I think to be honest, you're, you're sort of putting aside those concerns about personnel a little too quickly for me. I mean, this is I think that's a, fair. A, a defense that we know 
They don't value linebackers. And they're either going to value cornerbacks or safeties, but not both. They're going to pick one or the other, and that's where they're going to spend their money. They've lost five starters on the defensive side of the ball. Javon Hargrave, they lost both their starting linebackers and both their starting safeties from a year ago. And those were positions at linebacker and safety, even though they don't value them. Those were positions the Eagles really struggled to fill in 2021 with Gannon as a defensive coordinator. It felt like they were playing very conservative defense. They weren't breaking on anything. Um, it was very much a, a weak and throw on them over the middle of the field. It was easy to, to hit chunk plays on them in those spots. And I mean, I hope Nicobe Dean is a good player. Uh, they have Nicholas Morrow maybe in a starting role at linebacker, which I mean, knows the scheme, I guess, but um, Terrell Edmonds, who was okay player, not great in Pittsburgh, and Reed Blankenship, who the numbers, I believe, went down dramatically on defense, and they got worse, I should say, when Blankenship was on the field a year ago. I think he was the one who took kind of a subpar angle on that Christian Watson touchdown that goosed up Jordan Love's numbers for the Packers. Yeah, so there was a long um, touchdown against the Cowboys, too, in a game yeah. where he was playing the um, touchdown. And I mean, having him as your third option, maybe they'll get Sidney Brown or look at Kayvon Wallace in there more. And they could always, I mean, they traded for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson like a week before the season last year. They could get somebody late. But I look at that and, and I don't feel safe. Like I, I'm I'm a little concerned that we're we're hand-waving that away and saying, oh, they'll be fine. Maybe they will be. They have obviously plenty of talent up front, but they're not as deep up front as they were um, a year ago. I, I understand having... You know, Jordan Davis playing a bigger role. I understand Jalen Carter coming in is the best possible replacement for Javon Hargrave, but he's probably not Javon Hargrave, especially as a rookie. So to me, I think, you know, there, it's, it's going to be harder for Sean Desai to be that guy in year one, even if maybe he is a better coach schematically than, than Gannon. I don't know that that's actually going to play out that way because of the, the, the personnel shift that they had on the defensive side of the football. Similar to the Tua thing, I think that you're right. Maybe some people are framing it in too simplistic of terms, and those are bigger concerns than we think. But even if we can see that the personnel is going to be okay, I still think there's a question about what Desai is going to look like in the role. And he did a pretty good job as the Bears' defensive coordinator two years ago. Yeah, they finished 12th in pass defense DVOA with Kendall Vildor as their number two corner. Like Alex Alec Ogletree played 700 snaps for that team. And they were still a pretty, they were above average pass defense. And I think that yeah. says a lot. He has, he's playing with much better personnel on this team, no matter your concerns at linebacker and safety, than he played with in 2021. So, and I think that's worth noting. Just a couple of key schematic differences. Mm-hmm. I haven't, hadn't looked them up before this, so I figured I might as well talk about them. The Eagles ran quarters on about a quarter of the early down snaps, like 25% last year, which is the third highest rate in the NFL. Mm-hmm. The Seahawks, it was cover six that they were running a lot of that on early downs, which is quarter, quarter, half. They're the second highest rate in the league. The Bears were right in line with that in 2021. So we're thinking about coverage-wise what might be different for the for Philly this year compared to mm-hmm. what the Eagles did last year. That might be one of them. And something else I thought was interesting, you talk about Gannon being a little softer. The Bears played man at a top 10 rate in 2021 on third down. Mm-hmm. And the league overall has kind of shifted away from that and maybe there's a chance to say won't be as aggressive rolling that out there on third down as he was the last time we saw him as a defensive coordinator but i just thought it was worth pointing out because the eagles did not play a lot of man coverage even on third down last year yeah and i mean it worked their defense was very good last year but that was with the scariest pass rush in football which i mean again they have pieces could certainly work out that way and i think they're going to be good on defense but just a little scared that they're going to be as good 
on the back end. Um, did you, by the way, I, we didn't mention this. We didn't talk about this before the show. Did you see the Mike Vrabel quote today? The one with 35, 10, uh, was it 35, 10 year olds is what you'd need he, to. So, so, no, so, someone asked him how many five-year-olds it would take to tackle Derek Henry. And, and his response was, quote unquote, a shit ton. And I, I was I, thinking, how many defensive linemen would Howie Roseman want if he could have on his on his defense? And the answer is also answer. a shit ton. Exactly. He still a, has that is a, a unit. That is a unit in the NFL. Even after losing Javon Hargrave, he still has a shit ton. So that's how. And Howie's you know they're going to add some too. You know they're going to get one during the year. They're not, they're not set with this personnel. Howie he signs like three defensive linemen for a Super Bowl rotation. You got Robert Quinn, who barely played, but they signed Dominican Sue and uh, Linval Joseph. Yeah, Linval Joseph in midseason because they had one bad game against the run. So um, he's going to keep adding players, is my suspicion. But I did have Reed Blankenship on my list, sort of hit, hitting at the same idea, which is the the defensive concerns. I think the offense is also a little bit of a concern, but maybe not quite as much. Um, yeah, I, I think the defensive personnel concerns are more important than anything about the offense. So I think that's worth mentioning. Who's your next one? Let, let me go from a team that has too many pass rushers or certainly plenty of pass rushers to a team that might not have any pass rushers and needs one to compete. And I'm going to pick David Ajabo as the the focal point here for the Baltimore Ravens, because this is a team that is built to win the Super Bowl. It is a team. That I also had David Ajabo very far down my list. So that's fine. It could, could have been a Dafai Owe as well, but this is a Ravens team where when you let, you could maybe say the secondary, I think a secondary is, 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 Good, not great, not up to the secondary they had years past, but good. But you look at this Ravens team and think, what is the one obvious hole on this roster? And it is their pass rush. Last year, Justin Houston led them in sacks with nine and a half. Nobody else had more than six. Uh, Clayus Campbell was one of the guys with five and a half. He left this offseason. Houston is still a free agent. Um, I guess he could still resign there, but hasn't signed there up to this point. Um, they could still look for somebody, but right yeah, now it, it feels like, like somebody is going to wind up there in the Justin Houston role, even if it's figures. not Justin Houston. Un- until the- that happens, though, we are sitting here right now with Adafi Owe, David Ajabo, and to some extent, he's not as much of a pass rusher, but Tyus Bowser as their edge rushers in this defense. And that seems like a scary group for a team that has Super Bowl aspirations right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. Even if we're, they're going to manufacture some rush and they're going to do some everyone does not traditional like stuff. Yeah, if they're going to, you know, obviously this team loved uh, the simulated pressures last year, and even if they're not going to blitz a lot, they're going to be creative in the way that they get after the quarterback. But at a certain point, you got to be able to have guys that can just win in one-on-one situations. Do you remember? And if you, do you don't, remember it's the um, be difficult to beat the Bengals. Remember that Tyreek Hill touchdown against the Ravens last year, where they had Kyle Hamilton uh, showing under pressure and then having to sprint back forty yards That's to catch Tyreek Hill. The, the Ravens so, threw a lot of shit against the wall just to see what that, would stick last year early in the season. That that happens when you don't have uh, when you don't have Hassan Reddick as someone you can be confident and say, "Ah, oh, we're just going to rush for and we're going to have Kyle Hamilton thirty five yards downfield to prevent Tyreek Hill from running past our." Um, our, our our poor corner playing. Uh, I think he was in quarter quarter half actually, uh, but there was nobody nobody in the other quarter next to him. Um, I, I you know certainly it feels like if if you, there are a few teams who deserve the benefit of the doubt when it comes to developing defensive players more than the Ravens. So like would hardly be shocking if if Oa or Ojabo suddenly had like a nine sack season and were were you know in position to be impactful defensive players, but. Would sure have loved to see it before this year. Yeah. 
And they've had guys that were drafted even deeper uh, have no that question. third, fourth year breakout, Zadarius Smith, Pernell McPhee. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been able to trot a lot of those guys off the assembly line. But you're right. We have not seen it, and this team has real aspirations in the AFC. Rightfully so, because I think there's a lot of talent on this roster, but that's one of the spots that you have a question about. I think you're right about the secondary. You know, they're a little bit less deep at corner than they've been in years past, so how does that ultimately shake out? Chuck Clark is no longer on this roster, but I would agree that, that I think the pass rusher and Najabo specifically coming off, I think, a year and a half now removed from that Achilles injury is the guy I would trot out there. The other Raven I had potentially on my list is Odell Beckham. Yeah. I mean, seems if fair. Odell Beckham's really good and he's a plus receiver for them, and I guess there are a couple other things that you'd want to see fall in place if, if Zay Flowers can be good. You know, what is the actual ceiling for this passing game? And what you get out of, I don't know, you can name any any one of those three. A healthy Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham. I think what you get out of those guys along with how Lamar fits into this offense is going to go a long way in defining what the ceiling looks like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And obviously... The money doesn't matter now in terms of, you know, how he's going to produce. It's not going to be better because they're paying him more. But clearly, whether it was a product of the Lamar Jackson negotiations or whether it was a product of presumed or perhaps imagined market for Odell services for more than $10 million a year, Odell Beckham's making nearly $15 million for this this Ravens team this year. So they are paying him like they expect him to be their wide receiver one when yeah. I mean he wasn't even really that guy in Los Angeles. He didn't have to be. And this when Cooper right. Cup was destroying records. He was a complimentary sure. piece. Sure. And when you have limited resources because of what you've paid your quarterback, those decisions, you only get so many of them. You only get so many of swing. You only get only get so many swings that size when you're at this stage that the Ravens are at. So I think that makes it even more important and gives it even more urgency for Beckham to what? be that guy. What 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 is a good enough season from Odell Beckham to? I don't. It's not stats. I no. because I think that they if they want to move the ball around and if Mark Andrews is going to be the lead, leading target getter on this team, it can be an 800 yard season from Odell Beckham. But if he's consistently mm-hmm. a matchup problem and he's mm-hmm. consistently raising the ceiling of what the passing offense can look like, that's more important than to me than a single stat line. Okay, that's fair. So, do you want to use Odell as your guy, or do you want to give me somebody else? He was like the fifteenth guy on my list. Okay. So give, give, there were give more me, guys that I was gonna guy. kind of, there were guys that I was gonna say like a passing mention, and Odell and David Ojabo were both were two of those guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. My next one sticking in the AFC North, Deshaun Watson. Yeah. I, I This isn't fun, but it's no. true. The Browns were 10th in EPA per dropback last season when Deshaun Watson was not playing. <laughs> 10th. That's what Jacoby Brissett. They were a top mm-hmm. 10 passing offense last season. And that's just passing. If you look at the offense as a whole, they were fourth mm-hmm. in EPA per play on offense over the first 10 weeks of the season. First 11. They mm-hmm. were fifth in offensive DVOA. This was one of the best offenses in the league last year when Jacoby Brissett was on the field. So I'm not even saying that Deshaun Watson needs to be the player that we saw near the end of his Houston tenure when he looked like the next star quarterback in the NFL. Even if he's average, Mm -hmm. this has a chance to be a really good offense and I think a really good football team. There's a lot of talent on this roster. And I don't know if he's ever going to be the guy that they paid for, draft pick-wise, contract-wise, but if he is a useful quarterback, if he can just run the offense, I think they have a chance to be competitive and maybe even a contender in the AFC. But well, if he's not, not then offense. people are, they're not at all. Their offensive line is very good. They've surrounded mm-hmm. him with plenty of weapons. I mean, it, Elijah Moore is there now, Amari Cooper, you know, mm-hmm. the tight ends that they have. So this is a question of what sort of play you're going to get out of the quarterback. If he's really good, I think they have a chance to be really good. If he's really bad, then I think people are going to probably lose their jobs. It certainly feels that way because uh, if it, who's going to get blamed for this? Is it going to be the coach? Or the guy making $230 million fully guaranteed. It seems like it will not be the latter guy because he's not movable. Um, and they just fired their defensive coordinator, Joe Woods, last year, which is why if I had known coaches were allowed, I would have chosen Jim Schwartz as one of I was also thinking about year. Jim Schwartz. I was also because, thinking about Jim Schwartz. Because to me, you got to figure Deshaun Watson is better. We don't know if he's the guy he was last year. Or, or or several years ago. Don't know if he's the, the peak Deshaun Watson, the guy Browns fans were dreaming of getting when they traded for Deshaun Watson. But he's probably not going to be as bad as he was last year. So even if he's average, good running game, good offensive line, um, you know, solid playmakers. I'm not as optimistic about the playmakers. When you said Elijah Moore was the first name off your list, I think that tells you. It's probably not that great. It's it should fine. have been Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper's already been there, though. Though it's They fine. added Elijah Moore this offseason. That's the reason I mentioned him first. A, a, a very prominent ESPN.com writer, I believe, had the Browns, even with Nick Chubb, as a below average. No, they were 12th. Okay, they were better than I thought. Um, 12th in playmakers. So they're fine. Um, but the, the defense was the problem with this team last year, Mays. They would have been a playoff team if the defense had been better. Of course, they blew that game against the Jets early in the season. They allowed 30 points to the Chargers. They allowed 38 points to the Patriots. They allowed 39 points to the Dolphins, 31 to the Bills. This defense, which 
a lot of people were excited about, given all the young talent they have on that side of the ball, was the problem. They finished 23rd in defensive DVOA, down from 11th the prior season. And there's a lot of guys on this roster outside of Miles Garrett where you would hope that Jim Schwartz, who has a history of developing young defensive talent, would develop guys like a Jeremiah Usukoromoa, like a Ogbo um, Akwankro, where they traded, for, they, they signed him in free agency, but he's still not really like a finished piece necessarily. Um, like funny, he's Elliott. on Team Three right now, yeah. but, we're, but we're still talking about him like he's twenty-two. He is still fairly young. He's like twenty-six, twenty-eight, twenty-eight. Um, you know, like a a Grant Delpit, like a Martin Emerson. You know, those guys are going to be the, the difference makers here, and they needed to add more heft on the interior adding Dalvin Tomlinson I think was an underrated big move for them this offseason I agree we'll see what Cedaria Smith has left in the tank but this is a defense that was supposed to be young and fast and instead they got they got uh, overpowered and they were they were sloppy on defense last year they made too many mental mistakes it was too easy to move the ball on them and I, I think for Jim Schwartz's perspective the last time we saw him I guess he was not that great at the very end with the Eagles but did win a Super Bowl with the Eagles with personnel that was not necessarily all that incredible outside of the defensive line so if that front four plays well i i kind of feel like the, the defense could be the team that the part that, that takes a step forward more so than deshaun watson and the offensive side of the ball it's funny because you're construing it like you think deshaun watson will be better and, and the offense will probably be okay that's kind of how i feel about the defense Sure. I think with Jim Schwartz coming in there, like they're going to be better and they're probably going to be okay. I just imagine them being somewhere probably around the middle of the pack. Like if they're the 14th best defense in the league, that feels right to me, which is a mm-hmm. significant step forward from where they were last year. Oh, sure. But on offense, and, I think a really good version of Watson and a, the version we saw last year or even a slightly better version is the mm-hmm. difference between them being the third best offense in the league and the 17th best offense in the league. And I think that gap is what could explain a deep playoff run or them missing the playoffs entirely. You think they can make a deep playoff run? Yes. You think they can make the AFC championship game? Yes. Wow. I mean, it's possible. I, I, I don't guess. know if it will, but I think no, with no, no, the level no, of... You're saying it's possible. Yes. I think that is within the range of outcomes for sure with the level of talent that they have on the roster. If okay. the quarterback plays close to the level that we've seen him play at before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he doesn't, they probably go eight and nine and don't even make the playoffs. Seven and ten don't even make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so that, I mean, that's again, it's not fun to talk about, but if we're talking about the guys that provide the widest range of outcomes for their teams, yep. based on everything else around them, I think you have mm-hmm. to mention him. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're absolutely right. I, I will give you a different player in the AFC South or in the AFC South as opposed to the AFC North. But a team that has that kind of potential this year if everything breaks right, and that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I will throw Which Calvin Jags did you Ridley. Pick? Oh, interesting. I have, two, I have two Jags that aren't Calvin Ridley. Who, who are your Jags? Trayvon Walker and Anton Harrison, which we can talk about. But I think Calvin Ridley is a fun one. So let's, so, let's do it. Well, well, hold on. What do you think is going to happen with their tackle situation? What do you mean? Like... Anton Harrison is there. Walker Little is there. Those guys are going to start while Cam Robinson is suspended. Like, do you think Cam Robinson is going to come back and be a starter on this team? One hundred percent. So then, what happens to Anton Harrison? Anton Harrison stays at right tackle, and Walker Little goes to left guard. Okay. If I had to make a bet on it right now, that's the bet that I would make. If if, if anybody's going to bet on offensive there. line, 
progressions, I'm going to pick you to bet on it. So I, 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 I can see what you'd say. I think Walker is a more notable pick to me. Um, but I, I think Walker and Ridley stand out to me. And of course, they're different sorts of, of impact in terms of what they can do. Obviously, the offense was fine last year, especially during the second half. To me, I think what Calvin Ridley does is he makes everyone else in the offense better because they all go down a slot. If Calvin Ridley is that legit number one yeah. receiver that we saw that last full season in Atlanta, then Christian Kirk is now not overmatched as a number one. He's a number two. Say Jones is not probably stretches a three. He's a four. If an Ingram's not stretches a two, he's a three. Like everyone, it's like getting that ace pitcher. Everyone else goes a step down in the rotation and it feels like you have to rely on them a little bit less. You can be a little more creative. You have a little more depth. There's a little more leeway if one of those guys gets injured. And I think that's really exciting because we know the sort of upside Trevor Lawrence has, right? Like, it's not out of the question that Trevor Lawrence is the MVP of the NFL in 2023. Um, no. You know, I, I, one of those things where it feels like we're not talking about it right now, but if it happened, nobody would be shocked by the end of the season. And I, I sort of the same way you feel about the Browns, I don't know that the defense, even if Trayvon Walker steps up in year two, has that kind of upside where we could be looking at them as like a top five unit. But I think we could see that from the offense. I would be surprised if the offense wasn't hovering around the top five. Wow. We're doing our top 10 offenses show later in the week, so spoilers, but I'm pretty enthusiastic about the Jacks. And one of the reasons I wouldn't include Calvin Ridley on a list like this is I feel pretty good about what he's going to be for them. Even with the two years off, and you talk about how it slots everyone into the right role, schematically, it just gives them an element they did not have last year. Mm -hmm. They did so much damage last season within three-man concepts on one side of the on one side of the play mm -hmm. where there's a lot of trips there's a lot of rub routes there's just a lot of schemed touches right it's smoke and mirrors they're creating the, offense by structure alone the the, the and, stuff that's not travis kelsey on on in chiefs the chiefs offense yes and that's what you need when you don't have that real number one receiver outside the numbers mm -hmm. so now if you can have calvin ridley as that isolated guy on the back side mm -hmm. of some of that stuff it just gives you an option you didn't have last year. Marvin Jones played like 500 snaps for this team last season. Mm -hmm. So you're dropping Calvin Ridley into that role instead of Marvin Jones. This is already a top 10 offense last year, Barnwell. Yep. No so question. A step, a step forward from the quarterback, fewer turnovers, fewer bad decisions, him playing within himself a little bit more, combined with the addition of Calvin Ridley. I'm very excited about the offense. My main question more is, the how is the rookie right tackle going to play? If he's a turnstile the entire season... That is going to hold them back more than anything else because I feel not, pretty confident about Calvin Ridley. But he's not going to play the entire season if that happens. They'll just move Walker Little to right tackle and they'll they'll have Harrison be the swing tackle. No. Yeah, maybe that that's probably a good point. That the downside cases they're protecting they're, they're protected against it because other guys they have on the roster. Sure, they invested a first round pick in the guy though. I, I have a hard time imagining that they want to put him on the bench for anything less than anything that's not disastrous. I mean, the Giants played Evan Neal all year last year. <laughs> mean. They made, they made the playoffs. But, it worked. Mean but fair. So Anton uh, Harrison, just again, I think he's the day one yeah. starter at right tackle. So I agree. when you're the day one starter as a rookie for an offense that has a chance to be really good, you hope he's the guy. So I wanted to mention him as part of this exercise for that reason. Mm -hmm. I have Trayvon Walker just because this defense added no one. Yeah. 
truly. They didn't add anyone. They didn't add anyone in the draft in the first two rounds. <laughs> they went offense, despite what their offense looked like last season. So they are really banking on development from their in-house guys and those in-house highly drafted guys. Mm-hmm. Trayvon Walker, among 125 edge defenders last year who played at least 100, who played at least 20% of their team snaps, mm-hmm. he finished 98th of 125 in PFF's pass rush productivity. Mm-hmm. He had 31 pressures on the season. He was less disruptive on a per snap basis than Cleveland Farrell. Mm. That's, that's such a mean marker. <laughs> The That's what it was. Line for pass rushers. And we, we knew it was always going to be an uphill battle. He was not a disruptive pass rusher in college. It was a trace, traits-based bet that the Jags made. But now you need some of those bets to work out for you. And they're doing this at a couple different positions. You know, Tyson Campbell made a big step forward last year. He was great. They're That's hoping right. he can be an all-pro level player on the outside this season. Mm-hmm. And if something like that happens and Devin Lloyd takes a step forward and Trayvon Walker becomes a plus pass rusher combined with what's happening on offense, now we're cooking with gas. I mean, Devin and Lloyd got benched. Now you can really get excited. He get, Devin Lloyd got benched. Yes. For, for a so, chunk of the year. For who was the guy who took his? Chad Muma. Chad, Chad Muma, came Muma. In To take we, Devin Lloyd's place. I'm spoiling some of the conversation we had with John Shipley when I was down in Jacksonville, which is going to run on Saturday. We, we dig into a lot of this stuff, but mm-hmm. it, Trayvon Walker, I think, is he epitomizes the steps they need from players on their defense, yeah. because I think the offense is going to be very good. I'm very excited about the quarterback and about mm-hmm. a lot of the other pieces that they have there. So if they're, they can be a top five offense, can this go from being you know bottom five defense for most of last season, if you look at the metrics, to an average or slightly above average unit? If that right. happens, they can compete in the AFC. Right. And, and, that, and I think the gap- that Trayvon Walker has a better chance to swing that than anybody else on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the gap between them being, you know, competing and favorites for the AFC South to being a team that actually competes with the Jags, or the, the, sorry, the Jags, the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals for being, you know, the top seed in the AFC. Correct. I, I think that's totally fair. So uh, I think he's going to be a big, again, pivot point. Uh, the guy that can shift things for them pretty su- substantially. Give me right, I got two more quarterbacks, which is it feels like cheating to do quarterbacks, but yeah, I, I just I had to mention both of these guys. Yep, Jordan Love and Desmond Ritter. Yep, I got Jordan Love. I did not do Desmond Ritter, but Jordan Love was one of my guys. So I'll do Riz- Ritter first, and then you can talk about w- w- why you think the Love belongs on this list. Mm-hmm. The Falcons last season finished twelfth in offensive DVOA. They were a top 12 offense with the worst starting quarterback play, arguably, in the entire NFL when what they got Ooh. from Marcus Mariota. Ooh, he was pretty bad last year, man. Oh, jeez Louise. Maybe, maybe, Zach, maybe Zach Wilson. I Did you see the guy who the Panthers were like, mm, we're good. We're, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'd rather go back to P.J. Walker than Baker right. Mayfield. Okay. How about bottom three quarterback play in the NFL from a starter last year? Uh, I think even that's a little harsh. There were some pretty bad quarterbacks last year. Um, but yeah, Marcus Mariota was not the solution. I think we can agree there. This team was fantastic running the football last year. No question. They bring back all the component parts of that, add a second-round guard to the mix. I think their offensive staff is really good at scheming that up. They drop in a top-10 running back. We can argue about whether that's necessary <laughs> if you're already this good running now. the ball. Too late but now. That's not that's neither here nor there. Okay. So I do think that so many other aspects to this offense are ready to roll. I'm excited about Pitts in London. I think that the pieces are here for them to be maybe one of the best offenses in football and certainly one of the best offenses in the NFC if the quarterback plays well or even if he's serviceable. 
even if he's not one of the worst four or five starters in the league, if he can just put the ball where it's supposed to be, which, by the way, I think is one of the reasons they like him, <laughs> because mm-hmm. he puts the ball where they want him to put it, even if he was a little bit scattershot as a third-round rookie last year, then I think this team has a chance to be very interesting on that side of the ball. That's a oh, huge sure. question, though. I mean, we don't, not a lot of third round guys come in in their second year and give you capable starting quarterback play. It would be an exception to most of history. But if they can find that exception, then I think that they have a chance to be really fun offensively. It's an exception, but it's one they're depending upon. Like, it's not as if it's Desmond Ritter and Marcus Mariota is the backup where we know, okay, like if Ritter's terrible, they can go to Mariota and they have a guy who led them to the 12th best offense in football last year by DVOA, where even if he was not leading is the wrong word, but he was at least along for the ride and contributing as a runner and occasionally as a thrower. But like they're pretty much all of their eggs are in the basket of a guy who played four games last year, one of which was a game where he threw the ball 12, sorry, he was 13 and 26 for 97 yards in one of those games. He played backups. He, he was against backups in all of those games. He was, uh, Tom Brady was the exception. He played one half against Tom Brady. Um, and not that that means it's going to change his style of play, but they were not in games where they had to be very effective on offense to win those games. He averaged 6.2 yards per attempt last year, Maze. Like he, he was this, this not- is my funny stat. You ready? Okay. Last season, Marcus Mariota was third in the NFL in off-target percentage, according to yep. True Media. Zach Wilson was number one. Guess who was number two? <laughs> was it? Uh, it was Desmond Ritter. It was Desmond oh, Ritter. Oh, no. So if you're using that stat to be like, oh, I don't know about Marcus Mariota, Desmond Ritter was actually worse by that one single metric. Again, I think they're mm-hmm. excited about aspects of his game, but it's right. not like he played really well when given the opportunity last no, year. No, and I think that's my concern is, okay, this offense really thrived in Tennessee when they added Ryan Tannehill because what Ryan Tannehill did was hit shots downfield when they threw the ball off a play action for huge gains. He was incredible in terms of yards per attempt, especially that first season. He averaged like nine, uh, 9.6 yards per attempt that year. An absolutely absurd That's more efficiency-based than it is average depth of target-based, in my opinion. Think about a both. lot of those gains and what they were hitting. I mean, those are it's just... Both daggers over the middle of the field consistently based on the space right but that's what i want that's what i need to see from this offense like that's what the running game should do for you that's what it did in tennessee and that like it's not like ryan Tannehill's hitting tight windows but you don't have to like if you can hit those windows in this offense you're going to be fine and that's what my concern is with desmond ritter is that even in that four game sample even given how effective they were running the football Either they didn't trust him to hit those shots or he wasn't hitting those shots reliably. And frankly, they have the personnel to pull it off. They have the offensive line. They have the playmakers. They have the running game. So that's where I think he needs to be a weapon. Like he doesn't have to be a guy, you know, lofting in 50 50 balls. Doesn't have to be a guy who's, you know, extending plays and improvising and getting to his third and fourth read. Like he just has to be that guy who's going to hit digs off play action all day if he can do that they're going to be fine but we didn't see him do that last year it's also a little bit different Kyle Pitts did not play last year when he was the starter I think there are more reasons to think that this can turn out well and the exact thing that you're saying all he has to do is make the plays that are on the field to be made that's why I think it's possible because they're not asking him to do a ton maybe this is also unfair and it's a silly way to think about it 
one of the reasons we don't see a lot of third round picks succeed in this sort of opportunity is a lot of third round picks don't get this sort of opportunity. It's true. The very fact that they're allowing him to enter the season as the starter, I think probably says more about him than a lot of quarterbacks picked in the third round over the last decade. And maybe they just didn't think that there was a better option and they're just going to roll with it because it's what they have. But the fact that they're giving him this chance, I think, should make us feel better about him than the typical guy drafted where he was drafted. You know, I'm I'm willing Again, to do maybe the, that's unfair, but I, that's I'm, kinda how I'm talking myself into it. I'm I'm willing to do appeal to authority with, with Brian Gutekunst and, and Matt LaFleur when it comes to Jordan Love. Like I can buy the well, they traded Aaron Rodgers and they wouldn't have traded Aaron Rodgers if they hadn't you know, if it wasn't because uh if Jordan Love hadn't been good enough, they wouldn't have made that trade. I I, I could buy that. I, I I don't really occupy the same brain space as Arthur Smith and the Falcons for better and for worse, frankly, like they grossly <laughs> exceeded my expectations last year. So I, it's harder for me to take that leap. If you can understand, I can understand that. And again, maybe that's an overly optimistic way of thinking about it, but I, I but, do think they see more from him than most teams would see out of a quarterback. They drafted in the third. For round. sure. That, that, and that, certainly, that. certainly like the, the, the upside in terms of it mattering is there. Like if he's solid, are they the favorites to win the NFC South? Are they? It feels like they're certainly in contention, even not knowing what he's going to be this year. There are so many different factors with all of these teams. You know, with the Saints, I think it's their defense staying healthy and being able to sustain some of those kind of underlying talent losses that they had along the defensive line, for example. You know, can Cam Jordan kind of keep playing the way that he's playing into his mid thirties? The the entirety of their defensive tackle rotation. Yeah, that I was putting it nicely. So I think there are questions for the Saints where things need to fall into place. With the Panthers, if Bryce Young is good, yeah, I think the Panthers could be the best team in the NFC South. I think you could make a case for all four teams because the Bucks, even with Baker Mayfield playing quarterback, still might have more talent, more high-end talent than any of the other teams in this division. Would you want to watch 17 Bucks games this year? Seeing what they were like last year with Tom Brady, a quarterback, where they were infuriating to watch every week. Mm-hmm. Even saying what I just said. Yeah. I'm I'm driving through the southeast right now going to training camps. And yep. You'll notice I did not go to Tampa. <laughs> so even if that timeline is on the table for the Bucks, I'm not particularly interested in them compared to some of these other teams. No, me neither. Um, I, I, I see your point. But yeah, I think moving on to Jordan Love and the Packers, like... I don't think I have to explain this one too much. It seems quite obvious. This was a team that won 13 games three years in a row before last season. And when they imploded, they have a good defense. They have a good running game. Their offensive line is the healthiest and deepest it's been in years. I mean, do you I see some of the weird shit happen in there right now, by the way? What? You see, you see some of the murmurs today. Zach Tom was getting starting snaps at center today. <laughs> Which I I have no issue with that. I think that they're trying to figure out who is our best five because we have more capable players than we know what to do with. And there's a chance that Zach Tom is just better than Josh Myers and it's worth rolling with that. But them trying to figure out what that five looks like and ultimately Zach Tom potentially ending up at center is kind of a funny thing to me. It makes me mad that they just keep finding these guys in the fifth round that are capable starters and don't get me started on that. But that, that little bit of news today I thought was kind of funny. 
I mean, that's a good problem to have. Like it, it, re- it really is. The fact that our our potential swing tackle in Yash Diamond is too good for us to keep off the field is a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, like the infrastructure outside of, of course, having the playmakers at wide receiver and tight end, at least in terms of experience. It's there. I think the defense is good. I think getting Rashawn Gary back is going to make a big difference. I know the running game was, or their run defense was pretty brutal last year. I, I hope that improves this upcoming season. We keep um, doing this. David Hellman yeah. did this last week on the show where he's like, oh, the defense will probably be pretty good. And I was like, why don't we keep doing this every year? We don't We don't have to just pencil that in. There, there aren't that many reasons why they should be better. I like so many of those players. I mm. wish they were better because I'd be less frustrated. But I don't think we can just pencil in them being better defensively because they have all this talent. <laughs> I mean, it seems like a good reason to pencil him in to be better, frankly. Maybe, but I keep doing this with these teams. Where I'll look at it on paper before the season, I'll be like, man, they got a lot of dudes. Did that with the Browns last year. And then you watch them play, and you, there's something missing here. And that's how it felt watching the Packers defense over the last couple seasons. And again, same defensive coordinator. I don't have that many reasons to believe it'll be different. I'm getting a little bit off track here, but this keeps happening, and I just want to kind of pull up pull us back a little bit when mm-hmm. it happens because I don't know how much they deserve the benefit of the doubt on that side of the ball after the way That's the last fair. couple of years have gone. That's fair. I mean, my hope is that they're better with Rashawn Gary than they were without him for chunks of last season. The year before, they didn't have Jair Alexander pretty much the entire season. They were getting by with, like, they had Russell Douglas and Devontae Campbell turn into pro bowlers or pro bowl caliber players, um, you know, kind of out of nowhere. That's promising, at least. I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get your point. It's, it's well taken. It's fair. There is a lot of talent here. It's it's nice to think they can be even a league average defense. Because again, sort of like the NFC South, like if love is okay and the defense is okay, that might be a playoff team. Yeah, it's competitive in the NFC. I let's say love <laughs> is let's say love is pretty good. Right, like he's, you, he gives you capable play every week with a couple of splash throws here and there. Let's say he's the sixteenth best quarterback in the NFL. You know, he's as good as a, a Derek Carr season from whatever year. Based on the playmakers they have, how good do you think that offense is? Because you're very good at this, kind of just stepping back and looking mm. at this stuff rationally, looking at the guys they have and how young they are at those spots. What does an offense with average quarterback play, this offense, what does it look like with average this, quarterback play in your opinion? If there's ever an offense that's hard to project, it's this one. Because you mentioned they were young. If you go by Mike Clay's projections at ESPN, in terms of the wide receivers and the tight ends, if they get targeted at the rate Mike Clay is projecting, they would be the second youngest receiving core of the last 20 years. Every guy on the roster was drafted in the last two years. It's insane. Literally, the oldest receiver on their roster is Josiah DeGuara, who was drafted in 2020 and is 26 years old. Yeah, like, and it, it, the receiver, the wide receivers specifically are even more extreme than that. It's, I mean, it's they're, all they're, guys from the last two years. Their top two tight ends are rookies. It's, yeah. it's Luke Busgrave and Tucker Craft. And then on top of that maze, Jordan Love is the only quarterback on this depth chart who's ever thrown an NFL pass. And he's throwing like 80. He's throwing 80. Like, ironically, this is the least experienced quarterback room since the year Aaron Rodgers took over with the Packers uh, 
I don't know how to base this in reference to your your college life, but 2008, I believe, when it was him and I think Brian Brome was the backup in Green Bay. Brian Brian Brome, that's right. Second round um, pick, Brian Brome. He was second. Round, I believe a, a big uh, football outsiders uh, guy. Football outsiders was very behind at the time. It was him, Brian Brome, and Matt Flynn who had not played at that point. Matt Flynn was a rookie, seventh round pick. But I loved those Louisville teams, man. I had like a weird affinity <laughs> for those Louisville teams. But that team had Donald Driver. Jordy Nelson, who was a rookie as well, Greg Jennings, Donald Lee, Jermichael Finley. Like those guys, a lot of those guys ended up breaking out, but outside of Driver, they were not breakout players at that point. They had to develop. And so it's so hard to project this because it kind of feels like they all have to figure this out on the fly. Like if Christian Watson goes nuclear and he's just a a you know wide receiver one, that's going to make Jordan Love life Jordan Love's life easier. But his chances That's of doing that question. are decreased because Jordan Love has so inexperienced. It's a really good point. And I don't know which way to nudge it because I think that he is really talented and we saw that in flashes last year, but how much of that is the quarterback play? And if the quarterback play gets significantly worse, what can we expect from that group? Well, and it's if just, you build just a really high variance from thing. that group. Yeah, it is. It's very difficult to, to pin down. All right, you, you want to talk about the 2006 Louisville team really quickly for a second? <laughs> they, so they were they were 12 they were 12 and 1, okay, sure. under Bobby Petrino. This team was loaded with NFL players. Brian Brown was the quarterback obviously. Michael Bush, remember Michael Bush? Of course. He was one of the running backs on that team. Harry Douglas had 70 catches for t- almost 1300 yards. Gary Barnage and Breno Giacomini were on this team. Just <laughs> loaded with NFL talent, the 2006 Louisville Cardinals. I knew I remembered that team being fun. Yeah, anytime you can get Breno Giacomini listed in your your list of core offensive talent. Breno Giacomini played the league for a while. He won a and, Super Bowl. And a, a first-round pick on the defensive side of the ball. Two? No, one first-round pick on the defensive side of the ball. Amobi Okoye. And Amobi Okoye. Malik Jackson, just retired, was there. William Gay, longtime NFL cornerback, was there. Man, we really could do this team. all day, huh? Really good team. I love that team in NCAA football. I, I just remember playing with with Michael Bush and Brian Brome. It was good times in my life. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, I got one more in like my main list. Okay. I have Sean McDermott. Hmm. I like that one. I didn't think of that one, but I think that's a good one. Why? Sell me on it. He's calling defensive plays now. Yes. And this has been a top 10 defense since he got there with Leslie Frazier kind of overseeing that side of the ball. But they were falling off a little bit at the end of last season. They finished eighth in weighted DVOA. Injuries explain some of that. They, they lose Von Miller. That affects the rest of their pass rush. They're banged up in the secondary. You know, they Jordan Poyer was hurt even when he was playing. Micah Hyde didn't play. Trey White got back halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. They're deeper and probably better personnel-wise this year and even more flexible than they've been in years past. But let's say Sean McDermott has like really got it. Like He's throwing fastballs as a defensive play caller this year. They're blitzing a little bit more. They, they're just a little bit more interesting on that side of the ball. For whatever reason, he's pressing the right buttons maybe a little bit more than Leslie Frazier did in his last season there. Can this be one of the best defenses in the league again? Can it be the best defense in the league again? And if they are, and we expect the offense to be decidedly above average, this is a team that even with some of their shortcomings last year, I think still finished second in EPA per play on offense. Is this Bills team just as good or even potentially better than some of the ones we've seen over the last couple of years, even if some of the heat has kind of faded off them a little bit? And I think Sean McDermott can go a long way in determining that. It does feel a little like sort of the hype has has sort of come off the bills a little bit. And you can understand why. Is. It I definitely mean, last, is. Last year was like supposed to be the year. And then through things that some of which were their fault, some of which obviously with the DeMar Hamlin situation were not their fault, like the, the, the blizzard that cost them a home game where they still won, but they were gone for a week and a half. Like that was an emotionally exhausting season for the Bills. And I think you saw that in how they played in the postseason. Like some of it, yes, was Josh Allen having an elbow injury and and sort of struggling and then not having a counterpunch. But I think they were an exhausted team by the time they got to the postseason where they struggled with the Skylar Thompson Dolphins. They got blown out at home in the snow by the Bengals. It just felt like they had so little left in the tank by the end of the season. And I'm not concerned about the offense. Like, I think they're going to have a counterpunch that I like, but I do believe, like, this defense, it's, you're not adding pieces right now. You're subtracting pieces. You lose Jermaine Edmonds, and and, and even though they're getting healthy, like, what are the chances that the guys who were the the veterans, the the core of this team, are going to be better than they were when they were healthy last year? I mean, Von Miller's coming off for Tony He's a year older. Jordan Pyre, Micah Hyde, like, 
Hyatt's going to be back this year, hopefully healthy for the entire season after missing most of last year, I believe, with a neck injury. But he's 32. He's 32. Jordan Poyer is 32. Like, those guys are awesome. They've been awesome forever in this Bills defense. But, like, what are the chances they're even better this year than they were in 2021 or the first few weeks of 2022? Like, it's it's not high. They didn't really have a replacement for Edmonds when he left for the Bears. They're they're dependent on guys they, like they drafted guys ball. like they drafted Terrell Bernard in the third round la- in 2022. Sure. They drafted Dory Williams, Williams in the third round this year. But th- they're questions. They're young players. Even if you can project some development from their from them, they are not proven quantities in the way that Tremaine Edmonds was by the end of his time in Buffalo. That's right. for sure. And 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 you're having those guys step in on the fly. Like like the expectation is not ah we'll be fine this year. We'll get better next year. Like they are win- they need to win right now. Like th- this is the. Last year, I think, was the best version of this Bills team. This year is the next best version, and next year is going to be a little bit worse. Like, like unless they just nail a draft, which can happen, and you know maybe they'll be really good. Maybe their picks will work out great. Like, unless they just nail this year's draft, this team is getting worse, not getting better. And so that pressure is weighing on all these people. And so I think you bring that back to Sean McDermott, who's the coach of this team, now adds extra responsibility as the defensive play caller. Like, yes, he can do it. We know he's good at that role, but. Is that going to make his head coaching worse? Is the rest of this team not going to be as effective because McDermott's taking on that role? I think that's a fair question to ask. Yeah, I think that they've been very good at game management, too. If you think about his in-game decisions, he's consistently given them edges with the way they've gone for on four down, those sort of decisions. Is that going to be a little less sharp when you're the one calling defensive plays? I, right. I talked to a defensive head coach about this recently, that they feel like it's easier to handle both of those responsibilities when you're a defensive-minded head coach because you're not worried about calling timeouts and things mm-hmm. like that. So it's a little bit less on your plate than it would be for a play-calling offensive head coach, but it's still more responsibilities. So I think the range of outcomes for Sean McDermott as a defensive play caller and for the defense in general is not as wide mm-hmm. as some of the other guys we've talked about on this list, but I do think it might be as pivotal pivotal mm-hmm. in terms of what you get out of him this year. One no of my... like. We did a show with David Hellman last week about like the takes we like think we might believe. And one of mine that I'm I'm workshopping right now is I think that and the like that you mentioned, the draft is a very important part of this. But let's say that Osiris Osiris Torrance starts for them and Kincaid gives them something in year one. My one of my like quasi hot takes is I think this has a chance to be the best Bills roster from over the last five years. I don't I don't agree with you. I don't the- I don't necessarily believe that right now, but I, I kind of think that there are certain timelines where that's how it unfolds, because I think the offensive line has a chance to be better and more physical than it's been in years past. Like, Roger Saffold was not good for this team last year. They signed Connor McGovern in free agency. Can Torrance give them a little bit more in the interior of the offensive line? And then defensively, they've got a lot of guys in that defensive line rotation. They brought Leonard Floyd in. Puna Ford is on this team now. And what sort of flexibility does Taylor Rapp give them as a third safety that they haven't had in years past? And even beyond that, like now you have Kyrie Elam in year two. Can he take a step forward? You know, Christian Benford got snaps for them. I think they're really deep at corner in ways that they might not have been in years past. So I don't know. I think that there is a version of this team that by the end of the season, we get there and we're like, man, this, this is the best roster in the AFC. And I just don't think most people are talking about them like that the same way they talked about them like that at this time last year. I think both things could be true. I think they could have the best roster in the AFC and still not be as good as some of the Bills teams from the past couple of years. 
Yeah, that's fair. The 2021 version is probably the best version. I mean, the offensive line depth was so much better. Like, I understand what you're saying about them being more physical. And that, that that's going to have to change. Like, I think I've talked about this in like 8 million shows now. Like, the idea that they're going to emulate what the Chiefs did last year and that they're going to have that, okay, you're going to play like boxes. We're going to bring out our Damian Harris, or our version of Isaiah Pacheco. We're going to come out in 12 personnel and we're going to be physical with you. And we're going to, you know, outpower you if you want to come out with five man boxes or, or match up with, um, you know, like like six people in the box against our our twelve personnel. I think that's inevitable for how they need to approach this, just to have that in their pocket the way the Chiefs did last year. I thought Stephen Ruiz brought the, brought up a good point earlier today on Twitter when Brandon Bean, I believe, was on McAfee, was saying that we're going to flex Dalton Kincaid out as receiver. Like that's what we, that's where we think he's best. Those two guys are going to be on the field at the same time. And Stephen was like, "Well, don't defenses know that too?" And if defenses are going to play nickel to your 12 and Dalton Kincaid's not really a blocker, Mm -hmm. does that create an advantage for you in the run game? Or Mm -hmm. are you just putting out a tight end as your slot receiver who isn't as dynamic as other slot receivers? I get what they're trying to do, but I also think that that's something worth keeping an eye on. Like, are they they, actually creating the advantages they think they are in that 12 personnel set? They've got to show it. And like, they might come out in 13, to be honest with you. Like, there's no... They might not stop. It might be Dalton Kincaid split out as part of a three tight end set. Um, that wouldn't shock me either. They come out with an unbalanced line, and um, you know Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox, and they have six offensive linemen on the field. They could do that more. Like, I think Steven's point is is well taken and not unsurprisingly very smart. And like, it doesn't mean anything to have a quote unquote tight end if that tight end's Mike Gesicki. Like, you're not going to match up the same way you match up with. Um, Chris Van Hurts, if he's the second tight end, but I do believe there's things they can do where it's not just Dalton Kincaid lining up as a traditional tight end and still having those packages work. I mean, Travis Kelsey isn't a plus plus blocker. Travis Kelsey is a big body tight end still. Like Travis Kelsey can get in people's ways. If Tra- if Dalton Kincaid can be as good a blocker as Travis Kelsey is, then maybe this is going to be okay. But I think we have yet to see that. Yeah. I, I think comparing Dalton Kincaid to Travis Kelsey in any way, shape, or form is probably a little much. But I, that's you know that's not what I'm saying. You know that's not no, what no. I'm but, but like I, I think like the expectation is that he has to be that guy in that in that sort of formation to work where he has to be like the, you know, like the move tight end. He has to be a, a total difference maker. He doesn't because the guy who the Bills line up as the one in that that twelve thirteen personnel. It's not going to be Justin Watson. It's going to be probably Stephon Diggs for stretches, and that's a big difference. Yeah, so Travis Kelsey was 256 at the combine at 6'5". Dalton Kincaid is about 6'3 and three quarters and 246. So have we, have we, have you and I talked about how weird Travis Kelsey's career is? Probably in some capacity. How do you mean? <laughs> Travis Kelsey enters the NFL. He's a third round pick. He undergoes microfracture surgery. Yeah. I he remember this. He and I had a long conversation about this. This was coming right off of like the Amari Stoudemire microfracture yep. surgery when it was a terrifying word for an athlete. I remember talking to Travis Kelsey about this specifically. He misses his entire, basically his entire, he plays like one game his rookie season and he's missed, I believe, one game because of COVID since. Like he, he has been the healthiest player in football from that point forward. Just, just bizarre. It's kind of funny because of how much we talk about Mahomes, and, and I'm sure this isn't true. Like, we all know how tra- good Travis Kelsey is. He's one of those guys that has been so good that I'm not sure we even properly appreciate how good he's been because yeah. of how outlandishly excellent he has been at the position for so long that so many of the stats and the accolades and the numbers you can throw out, 
they're so good they almost seem fake that there's no way to properly tune into how excellent he has been over the course of his career. If that I mean, makes sense. I, I, I wrote about it last year um, before the season. I said no tight end in their age 33 season or older had posted a thousand yard season. And Travis Kelsey had 1,338 receiving yards last year. Granted, he had a, a 17th game. That helps. But even without a 17th game, he would have had like 1250 and 11 touchdowns. Like just, just no one does that. Even if tight ends hold on till they're older, like a Tony Gonzalez, like you're decreasing at this point of your career. catches last year. Travis Kelsey was the only receiver anyone really cared about in that offense. And he was still incredible week after week. The most efficient offense in football. He was the passing focal point of the most efficient offense of football in his age 33 season as a tight end. It's Incredible. he's absurd. All right, I got like five more guys I can quickly list. You want me to do it? Uh, yeah. Then I'll do one more to finish up. Dax Hill, okay, stepping in in the back of that Bengals yeah. defense because the whole, the whole Bengals I, secondary. Yes, because and well, Cam Taylor Britley we at least saw play last year. Yeah. Dax Hill didn't play last season. He played maybe 100 snaps, and uh, this is the Bengals' plan, and we've seen this for other teams in a similar position. You pay your quarterback, or you know, you have this plan where you know you're going to pay your quarterback, so eventually, you need to draft and develop guys who are going to be cheap. And Can that I ask is a what question? Sure. Are you surprised I didn't bring back Eli Apple? No. No, but he played, he played like every snap for them last year. That's because Joby Uze was hurt. He played before then, I thought. No? No. No, okay. I, th- I think he did. No, yeah, he did. Cam Taylor Britt was not a starter heading into last year. Eli mm-hmm. Apple was. But then Cam Taylor Britt played when Uze got hurt. Yes. And they know Taylor Britt is a starter and Uze is still on the roster. So, yes. no, I'm not surprised. I think that this was always going to be the plan, is that Taylor Britt was going to step in as that starter opposite of Uze as soon as he was healthy. But you wouldn't and bring Apple back as like... With you know DJ Turner there is going to probably be the, the nickel. Yeah, they drafted a guy in the time. first round, didn't they? I mean, it's uh, second. Round. I think they have second round. I, I think that they have succession plans in place for the secondary. I'm not surprised okay. that he's not back. Okay, but Dax okay. Hill steps in for Jesse Bates, and yeah, you know that's a big one. This was all. This was always the plan. I don't think losing Von Bell and replacing him with Nick Scott was necessarily the plan. I think that, that there's a world where Von Bell comes back at the right price, but Dax Hill for Jesse Bates was always the plan. Now the plan needs to fall into place. Because this defense was really good and, more importantly, very flexible mm-hmm. over the last few years because of the pieces that they had on the back end. Can you maintain that identity on defense with some of these young pieces? And I think that he kind of exemplifies that. Dax Hill, I have. Geno Smith. If, if Geno Smith is really sure. good, I, I think that the Seahawks have a chance to be very good. You know, If he's as good or better as he was a year ago, what does that team look like? I have J.C. Jackson. If J.C. Jackson is a plus-plus corner, if he's the guy we saw in New England, and Daniel Popper, I thought, brought this up in a very smart way when he and I talked at training camp. J.C. Jackson was excellent in camp last year. He had that surgery in August and then was never really right and then got hurt almost immediately after. So if J.C. Jackson can be a really good corner with what they got from Michael Davis last year and some of the other pieces that that team has, how good can the Chargers be if things fall into place for them? And then the last guy I had was Jamison Williams. Okay. If Jamison Williams is a really good, explosive piece for that Lions offense that they didn't have a year ago, that to me is one area where they could take the next step, where you have this guy who's a difference maker outside the numbers that you didn't really have for most of last year. So in the 10 games he plays for you this season, when you're pushing to make the NFC playoffs and potentially even make some noise in those playoffs, what do you get out of him? Because again, this is a first round pick. This is a big bet that they made. 
those bets need to start hitting for these teams trying to take the next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Those are my I mean, guys. Okay, that's fair. There's one guy I can't believe you don't have on your list. I'm sh- I'm genuinely surprised. I'm sure I missed somebody along the way. I have as my final pick here, Mackay Becton of the New York Jets. Interesting. And you could do Dwayne Brown. You could do Dwayne Brown as well. But those tackles, if they play well, that is the biggest weak spot on this Jets offense resolved. And if Brees Hall is healthy, which I think it looks like trending positively, although I think I'd still want to see them add someone to give him some rest early in the season, that offense could be scary. Like the upside there is obvious and significant on paper, but Dwayne Brown is coming off of surgery. He's 37, 38, He turns 38 at the end of this month. Mekhi Beckton has played one game in two years. Neither of them want to play right tackle. They appear to be in a blood feud to see who will play left tackle. Um, Neither of them have played right tackle significantly or regularly. So whoever ends up there is moving to a new position on the fly and the expectation here is Super Bowl or bust with a quarterback who is known to improvise and extend plays. And the first six weeks of the year, Maze, have you seen the Jets schedule? No. Bills, Cowboys, Patriots, Chiefs, Broncos, Eagles. Good Lord. Then they're by. You know what's really sad? What? I had already just imagined the Jets without Mackay Becton. No. I think the Jets had imagined the Jets without Mackay Becton. I know that's a bummer, but when I was thinking about the Jets offense, I had just penciled in Dwayne Brown at left tackle, and then what are they going to do at right tackle? Billy Turner? Billy Turner, Max Mitchell, some combination of it, however that ends up shaking out. Mm -hmm. That's how... Not a little faith I have in Mackay Becton, but I just it's okay, hard so for me to imagine a world where he's on the field. So I've just already moved past that in my mind. So throw Dwayne Brown out there. Then I think Dwayne Brown is an equally valid concern. Like a good player who is approaching 40, who has not aged the same way Andrew Whitworth has, um, coming off of surgery, and just just like like this seems such an obvious concern to me that you have this team that is so utterly all in that is so confident expectations are so high and they did not get enough at tackle this offseason that's a really oh, i don't necessarily thing. agree with that no i think that they the way the draft unfolded they probably wanted one of those guys in the middle of the first round that it didn't shake out that way sure and so they they're just taking as many shots as they can at it they signed Billy Turner. They have Max Mitchell on the roster. I appreciate how many different variations of an offensive line they've given themselves avenues to. I don't know if it's going to shake out, but I think how many, they've tried. How many of those lines are good, though? Uh, it's a good question. But I do, I do think they've tried to protect themselves against the downside cases for that group. Have they? Do, do you feel good about their line this year? Do you think the line will will be able to hold up and they will be like that. We will be sitting here at the end of 2023 and saying the jets did not do what they were supposed to this year because the offensive line held them back. 
I think that's still possible, but I also think that even in the worst case scenario, there's probably a pretty good chance they'll field a competent offensive line. Their okay. starting center from last year it probably isn't their starting center this year, though that sort of stuff. I know reports from camp have not been optimistic about Joe Tipman. Okay, so maybe maybe that doesn't that's not how it shakes out. But they they signed multiple guys or drafted multiple guys on the interior. I, I think that even if they get a string of bad luck again, it's not going to look as bad as it has over the last couple of years when they've sustained injuries. And I think that's mm-hmm. on purpose. Joe Tipman is is taking reps with the third team. Well, right that, now. that's not that's not great. That's not great. It worked out for Josh Jacobs. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Again, that is why I'm not playing the preseason fantasy football game. I'm not doing it. I, I'll let other okay. people do it, but I'm not going to be the one throwing that stuff out there, even if I am going to Falcons camp tomorrow. All right. That's all we got. Barnwell, thank you very much, my friend. This is always fun. Oh, yeah. I love when we have like a quick show and then it's an hour and 25 minutes or however long this has been. It's been an hour and 25 minutes. Don't worry about it. It's not important. <laughs> all right, guys. That's all we got. Really appreciate you listening. Tomorrow, Mike and Randy will be back with the football GM. On Friday, I'll be back with Nate. We're doing the top 10 offenses or predicting the top 10 offenses in the league this year. Very excited to have Nate back. Very excited for you guys to hear that show. Quick reminder, Saturdays for the next three weeks, all the way through training camp, essentially, we're going to have Saturday shows. I'm going to have collections of conversations from my trips around to different training camps. This Saturday, we got Jags camp with John Shipley, Panthers camp with our Panthers writer, Joe Person, and we're talking to our Falcons writer, Josh Kendall in Atlanta. So the Southeast Swing will be coming your way on Saturday. We're going to have those every single week, all the way through the end of August, all the way through Labor Day, essentially. Uh, Really fun to do those. And, And I think that I get a lot out of those discussions from hearing from people that cover these teams every single day. And I hope you guys do as well. But for now, that is all we have. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.